Hello there, my name is Shirley Fisher and I'm an illustrator, creative business owner, and mom of two. I've been slowly growing from a part-time creator to a full-time working artist since 2016, so I know the joy and struggle of working for yourself and how mindset can impact your growth. It's here where we dig deep through vulnerable chats about running a creative business and uprooting our limiting beliefs. My hope is that you walk away from these conversations feeling empowered with a greater sense of clarity and community. So find a cozy spot, open up your heart, and prepare to be encouraged. Welcome to the Tillage Podcast. Are you a product-based business wanting to bring new products to your line like tea towels? Perhaps you're interested in manufacturing overseas, but you're overwhelmed and have a little bit of fear. Artist and educator Rebecca Woolbright is here to hold your hand with her new course, Secrets to Sourcing Overseas. In less than an hour, this course will help you become a pro on the platform Alibaba, know what questions to ask manufacturers, and quickly find the products you want at profitable price points. Rebecca holds nothing back when sharing her heart about manufacturing products and is ready to help you take the fear out of manufacturing one product at a time. Enroll in Secrets to Sourcing Overseas today with my affiliate link in the description below or through today's show notes on the tillagepodcast.com. Well, hi, Katie. I am thrilled to have you here on the Tillage Podcast. I think if I went back to 2019 at Paper Camp and someone would have told me, hey, in 2023, you'll have your own podcast and you'll have (laughs) Katie Hunt on it, I would be like, I'm sorry, what? So just to give a little background before we jump in, I took Katie's course, Paper Camp, back in 2019. I think this was your last time having an in-person event. We did one in the we did one in February 2020, literally weeks before the pandemic. And that was our very last one. So yeah, 2019 was our last like 2019 and that February 2021 were the last ones we've been able to do. I, I've been doing smaller events, but not to sidetrack our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I came to Paper Camp. I have spoke so highly of your program to anybody who asks about wholesale because That was a very pivotal moment for me and my journey as a creative entrepreneur to be like, okay, I have to make some really big investments to learn. And your course was the first one I ever took. So I have such great things to say about it, but I am so excited for you to be here. I would love for you to share about your own personal history of, you know, starting your programs and what, what your journey has looked like as a creative entrepreneur as well. Well, first off, thank you so much for those kind words. I mean, we've loved having you in our community and all the contributions you. you make. So thank you for that. You know, my journey started, I've been an online business owner, creative entrepreneur for over 15 years now. I started my own stationary line in 2008. And at the time I was on Etsy, I was doing custom work. It's really word of mouth and referrals and direct to consumer on Etsy. I started studying different business models, and I very quickly decided that wholesale was what I wanted to be doing. I wanted the higher volume of orders. I wanted stronger relationships with fewer people who are going to come back repeatedly and order my products. And so I made a pretty big shift within the first six months of my business and signed up to exhibit at was the National Stationery Show, which has now been absorbed by New York now several years ago. 
but it was a large international trade show across the country. I'm in California and this was in New York. And I also, so I committed to that. And then I had to go back and build out my product line so that it was ready for wholesale, that it was more ready-made products that stores could put on their shelves rather than the custom work that I was doing a lot of. And so it was a very big shift. And at the time, I also had a very intense corporate job. I was heading up business development and marketing teams for large law firms and traveling quite a bit. And this was a side gig to me. This was something that was really allowing me to be creative and to explore different things on nights and weekends. And, you know, I knew that it was serious and I knew I wanted it to be a business, but I was still kind of figuring out what that looked like. And keeping the day job allowed me to afford growth on the business side of things. So that was back in 2008, 2009. I did trade shows 2009, 10, 11, all of it. And in 2011 was when I, I, well, let me back up. In 2009 and 10, I started meeting creative entrepreneurs who were doing what I was doing on Twitter. This was before <laughs> Instagram existed, if I'm going to make myself sound ancient in tech years. But Instagram didn't exist. And we were all on Twitter late at night preparing for these trade shows, asking each other questions, sharing information we've learned, reminding people about deadlines for the shows and things we had to order. And it was really, it was my first taste of community. And it was my first taste of, wow, like I am excelling in my business because of these strangers on the internet who are willing to share what they know. And I'm reciprocating and I'm helping to boost their businesses too. And it was a beautiful thing. And I, you know, as I got to know these people in person at the trade shows in 2009, 2010, I realized, wow, they are such incredible, talented artists, and they have such a beautiful way of creating their work and presenting it to the world. I was self-taught in art, and I have these unique skills of my business knowledge. I have an MBA in marketing, an MBA in finance. I have over a decade of years in the corporate world doing business development and marketing strategy. Like, I was bringing a whole different set of skills that they didn't have. And so there were things I could learn from them about how to set up my <laughs> illustrator files and, you know, all these things. And there were things they were learning from me about budgeting and strategy and, you know, how to make sure they were using their money wisely. And so in 2011, that is what I, that is when I started what is now Proof to Product. And Surely, we had humble beginnings. We started with teleconference calls. Again, I'm going to make myself sound old here. We did not have Zoom. We did not have webinar capabilities. We did not have these things. And so it was teleconference calls that people signed in for. And, you know, they had to push like star zero or something to like <laughs> ask a question and raise their hand. It was wild. And, you know, eventually we moved to live webinars on GoToWebinar because that was the only webinar system available. And then eventually we moved to more of like a course platform type thing. And in-person events. And we just wrapped up our 42nd round of Paper Camp, which is our wholesale program. And so I, I share that wild story just to let people know, like, start where you are with what you have available and continue to improve and grow it based upon what you want your business and your life to look like. And who knows, maybe you'll be running a program for the 42nd time too soon. How incredible. It's truly incredible. And I think one of the things that I've always admired about you, and it was the first taste I had felt of community, was Paper Camp. And you have led a whole industry, Katie, of people who feel the freedom and the safety to share information. I mean, it's boosted so many businesses. And I talk with Tiffany Grimes of Posterity Paper. She's amazing. Probably every four or five days on Voxer. 
We meet on Zoom. I've met with several paper camp alum from my cohort over Zoom through the years. We would have WhatsApp chats. We've met in person. I mean, the community that you've built is so much beyond just that moment of paper camp. You've built a very robust now program called Proof to Product Labs. You have Facebook. And these relationships have gone off you know, the online world into real life connections. And I think that's so special. And it's not something that I think there is much of. And so I just want to, you know, affirm you in that and just say, I am so grateful to have experienced just a sliver of that. And it's amazing. It truly is. And I'm excited that we're going to talk about a lot of the gifting that you have, which is strategy and business and having that mindset, because a lot of us artists are out here <laughs> like, okay, I can do the Illustrator file, but uh, strategy, well, I need help with this. Totally. So I'm, ex- I'm excited to have you here. And we're going to talk about fear a lot today, but also just how we can really defeat fear by very tangible things. And so you've been in the industry for a long time, training and teaching people in the paper industry. and you have walked through some pretty treacherous times with all of us. To say the least, yes. (laughs) Including like COVID, the economy changes, trade shows being very different. I mean, I could go on and on and on. I know. And you've seen a lot of reactions and feelings in our community. I have, yes. Based (laughs) around these things. So to start us off, can you describe (laughs) kind of some of the things you've seen well up in people as like change comes on the horizon. Yeah. And I first want to acknowledge that change is scary. The unknown is scary. You know, having less control over what's happening in our lives and our business, that is scary. And so I don't want to diminish anyone's feelings around those things. But I will say, you know, as you pointed out, I, I've worked with thousands of people across industries, you know, that make a wide range of products and live all over the world. So I, have a very unique viewpoint when it comes to operating product-based business. And I do see trends and I do see common pains and fears and things that we need to kind of address as a community so that we can all work together to move on. And so I, I will address specifically when like COVID was happening and the paper source bankruptcy was affecting a number of people in our community and, you know, all of them things you mentioned. I noticed a trend of people taking one of two paths. They either were moving forward and taking imperfect, messy action to remedy whatever situation they were in, or they stayed still because they were fear-stricken or panicked, right? And they just felt like they couldn't make a choice. And now neither one of these things is necessarily wrong. But what I've now seen on the other side of this is that those that continued moving forward, even small baby steps, messy action, imperfect decision-making, they are much further along in their businesses at this point when we're recording this. The people that stood still, and when I say stood still, I don't mean for a temporary amount of time, you know, you know, a couple weeks or a month just trying to get their feet and understand what was going on. I'm talking about people who stood still for several months or even more than that. Many of them have now decided they want to take their business seriously and ramp. they're starting to ramp things back up again. And it's much more difficult for them now because they had that pause. And I'm I'm not saying pauses are bad because I do think we all need to take 
adequate time to reflect on things before we move forward with decisions. But I think when we're panic-stricken or making these decisions from a fear-based place that cause us to just paralyze and not move forward, it does make it much more difficult to create that momentum again. I will also say in this whole like standing still phase, a lot of people were doing reflecting of what they wanted their life and their business to look like, how they wanted to be spending their day to day. And I madly respect that. I think that is an important thing that we need to be doing on a very frequent basis for our businesses. Like uh, almost every month thinking like, is this driving me towards my goals? And so I, that was one of the biggest things that I saw. I saw this fear-based decision-making that was holding people in place and that caused them to stall out a bit. And now they're having a tougher time starting back up. Or I saw people taking, you know, messy action, which I think is necessary as a business owner too, outside of crisis moments. But, and and I think those people have had an easier time pivoting and switching and doing things because they had momentum behind them, even if it was slower momentum than they normally see. Yeah. And this goes beyond just crisis moments. I think as an entrepreneur, we're constantly faced with making decisions all the time, whether it's bringing on a new product category, whether it's, oh, I want to try out this different color palette or this different art style. I mean, we could go on and on about how we can feel paralyzed in just fear or like the unknown. And I love that you painted those two pictures, though, of kind of the outcome that can happen, unfortunately, when we do let that fear and that mindset paralyze Mm -hmm. us. And so For all of us who are listening, who are navigating fear, decision-making, what kind of advice do you have for business owners as we make decisions, but making decisions not out of fear and panic, but like strategy? And this is your gifting, Katie. You're a very (laughs) strategy-driven person, so I'm very excited to hear what you're you're going to say to this. Thank you, Shirley. Okay, so I make every decision in my business, and this is what I coach my clients to do as well from four key factors. I, I I look at four key pieces when making decisions. The first one is time. How much time is this going to take me? Is it going to be a lot of my time? Is it going to be a little bit amount of my time? Like, is it going to feel like stressful time or is it going to feel like easy time, right? So time is the first one. The second category that I weigh all decisions from is the money aspect. Is this going to drive revenue for the business? And if so, are we talking a small amount of money? Are we talking a large amount of money? Like we need to take that into consideration too because that's part of our growth process. That money can be allocated towards lots of different resources and benefit our business in lots of ways. So time is the first, money is the second. The third one is heart. And this is where our excitement, our love of what the project is comes into play. How am I feeling when I sit back and think about this project and taking on or making this decision? Am I excited by it? Does it light me up? Does it fill up my cup and make me feel rejuvenated? Or does it completely drain me? Like, does the thought of doing this really just empty me out? And I'm like, oh, I can't even, like, I don't want to do this, right? And obviously, we're doing a little projecting here because we're not yet making this decision or starting the project, but we know what kinds of things fill our cup and what kind of drains us, right? So that that heart piece is very important to us as a human making these decisions and moving forward. The fourth piece in my decision-making is impact. And I look at this from a number of lenses. I look at it, what is it? what kind of impact will it have on me? What kind of impact will it have on my family? 
What kind of impact will it have on my business as a whole? And then we take it external. What kind of impact will this have on my team or my customers or my clients? What kind of impact will this have on my industry and the world? We do need to think big because what we're doing is important. The type of work we're all doing is important and making this huge impact on the world. And so we look at those through those four lenses I assess whether or not something is worth pursuing. And everyone's decision-making tree is going to look a little bit different because you're going to have different priorities or things that you need in that moment. You know, maybe you are short on time. So a time-intensive project is going to be ranked lower. Maybe you are really in love with this one project, but it's not going to bring in very much money, but you can do it quickly and the impact is going to be huge, you know? Well, okay, let's let's not worry about the fact that it's a low income project, right? Let's do it. It's going to have a high impact and high heart. So you're going to have to weigh those things for yourself. But those are the things that I feel like we can combine the strategy piece of the data points and the time and the money. And we can also that gut piece of the heart and the impact. So it's kind of a strategy of balance and strategy and also the heart piece of that, which I think is important. So I think it's incredibly important to be strategic in our decision-making, but I also would never undermine the importance of our gut decisions, too, of what is my gut telling me about this? Which the gut is always right. <laughs> right? I, I mean, know. you can look back at things you're like, oh, I knew I wasn't so excited about that, but I did it anyways. And yeah. you know, I've talked to a lot of artists, and we often, unfortunately, we make decisions a lot of time out of scarcity thinking mm-hmm. like, well, if I don't say yes to this, then the opportunity won't be there again. Or I might as well just say yes because it's a quick buck. I mean, in the beginning stages of my journey, and I make this reference a lot, I don't hate logos, but I definitely am not wanting to be somebody who makes logos. But I would say yes to a logo at the time, you know, I was just starting 200 bucks. And it's like, that wasn't going to get me anywhere, but I thought, well, it's $200 now, but I could have been using that time and energy somewhere else to make a larger impact. So I love that you give that strategy-based thinking because it really does require all those components to make a decision. But you also said something that I want to hone in on, which was it's to think bigger, You talked about the impact reaching potentially the world. You know, I think a lot of us have a really hard time thinking about playing big. So kind of talk about fear and risk taking and all these things. How have you seen clients that you're working with play bigger in their businesses? And what are the things that they are doing to allow them to do that? So I I will say, I do think a small amount of fear can help us. I think it that nervous excitement for what we're doing that leads us to be more creative. And of course, we all have different thresholds of risk-taking that we're willing to do. But I think a small dose of fear is healthy. I think it fuels us sometimes. I think it's when we get stuck in that that it's not healthy. But in terms of my clients, I mean, folks are doing such incredible things. I have one uh, member of my advisory board, which is my high-level coaching clients, she she and I talked last a year, almost a year ago, and her goal was to stop doing wedding invitations. You talk about how the logos, right? She had not wanted to do custom wedding stuff for a very long time, but it was the largest percentage of her business revenue. And so it was very scary for her to say, okay, we're going to let go of this revenue stream 
and instead focus on wholesale as our primary revenue stream. But in order to do that, in order to get there, I'm going to have a gap in the income because I'm going to have to turn down projects that would otherwise be coming in and bringing a revenue so that I can focus my time, my energy, and my attention on pivoting this business to be primarily wholesale. And so we've had these same conversations about, you know, oh, I said yes to this wedding when I knew I shouldn't have, you know, but I, I needed the cash flow or felt like I needed it, you know? And so what I what I love about this example is she's done it now. I just talked to her last week and she finished her last wedding a couple months ago. She's not taking on any for the remainder of the year and for the you know ongoing basis. She's actually pivoted that into another revenue stream too because she's referring people out to other designers and then getting a referral fee for that. The impact there that she's having is She's helping to lift up other people that want to do wedding invitations. She's helping her customers and clients that want wedding invitations done, but she's just not doing it herself. She's able to dedicate more time and energy to the areas of her business that she wants to be focusing on, and she's still getting a little bit of an income from the referrals that she's sending out. So the impact of that is pretty great, right? Like that is helping other women build their businesses and it's helping her clients and herself. And so, but if we, if we pull it back to the initial, here's what I want to do, letting go of a multi six figure revenue stream and saying bye-bye to that money while you make the transition to something else, that's frightening. That is incredibly scary. And so Again, it didn't happen overnight. It took about 10 or 11 months for her to do, but she also went in with a very strategic plan of here's how I'm going to make this switch. And here's how I'm going to make the impact still without me doing the work myself. We'll be back after this short break. Do you feel the frantic energy as you think about entering into 2024 with your business? Or maybe you feel unclear about what is working in your business this year or what you need to let go of. Maybe you even feel off of what is bringing you joy and what you need to lean into in the first place. As we enter into a new year, it is so important to carve out time to reflect on your year and cultivate clarity moving into 2024. I have felt all the frantic energy in the past and have had needed the time to lay the groundwork for success in the new year. This is why I created a workbook and a workshop to share with you, which is happening on November 8th from 10 until 11.30 a.m. Pacific time. During this time, I will lead us through a workshop with some time to also work through a comprehensive workbook with reflection questions to look inward at your business, revenue, and give you clarity on what to spend more energy and time on in 2024. No worries if you cannot attend live, but still sign up so you can get the workbook and the replay. Sign up today with the link in the description below or through today's show notes on the tillagepodcast.com. I so hope to see you for this workshop on November 8th. Now back to the show. And that requires a lot of intention and a lot of reflection. And I think that's also something that you've stimulated a lot in your coaching and things I've experienced is really calling people to reflect. And you were saying, you know, admiring people who took that time during crisis to reflect, but it's so important to have that part or we are just kind of wandering aimlessly around, not sure where we're going. And I would love for you to talk about like, how can we create clarity in our decision-making on the day-to-day so that we're not faced with a situation where we end up somewhere. We're like, how did I even get here? Where am I going? (laughs) Well, 
I do think that is part of running a business. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I think business is one big experiment. It is one big experiment where we are challenged every single day to make small decisions, big decisions. And in some cases, most of us have felt decision overload at times, you know, decision fatigue of having to be the sole person making these choices in our business, even if it's as simple as a color palette. I, I'm not trying to belittle that. That's an important piece. Yeah. But, you know, when we sit back, we're like, really, I'm think- overthinking this, you know, but it's true. Like all of the pieces, all of the decisions we make day in and day out do lead us to where we're trying to go. And I think that's what I want people to hear most of like having clarity on what you want your business to look like, on what you want your life to look like, on how you want to be spending your days. This sounds very simplistic, but if we know what we're trying to get to, what we want in the end, we can then build the roadmap to get there. And that's where the day-to-day decisions play into, will this get me the business or the life that I'm seeking to have? And that boils down to the supplies we're using, the people we're working with, the projects we say yes or no to, you know, it's every little piece of that, does that get me to my end goal? And everyone's end goal is going to look different. Maybe somebody wants to spend time at home with their kids and work very part-time hours, but still bring in a healthy income. Maybe somebody wants to have a huge empire with lots of, you know, team members and things like that. It's going to look different for every single person listening to this episode. But getting clear on what you want is, and then making sure that every tiny decision we make does push us towards that is that's where we see the growth. And the phrase that you say that so many of us repeat and repeat, (laughs) repeat is slow growth is how strong businesses are made. And it's so true. I mean, I feel that in my own life that, you know, it does feel like though sometimes where you're like, oh, really, are all these little decisions going to get me where I want to go? And they really do. And they do. I also want to say your construct of what you want for your life is evolving. That's going to change. And so what you want at the beginning of your journey could be different. Once you do have kids, you're like, oh, I want to change what this looks like. And so I just want to give permission there too. And we're not locked in to the roadmap that we've created. Mm -mm. No. And that's why checking in on that so frequently is so important because our priorities do shift in business and in life. I mean, I'm in a new season of life with our kids being ages 7 to 13 now. I don't have itty-bitties at home anymore, but now we're navigating, you know, five soccer teams and, <laughs> you know, and, and gymnastics and all the things. And I, so I bring that up just as an example of our lives and our businesses are going to continuously be evolving. And we need to keep a pulse on that of what are my priorities? What freedoms and flexibilities, you know, what kind of cash flow, what, like all these things play into the decisions we make every day. But ultimately, one of the questions we need to ask ourselves, is this pushing me towards the business and life I want to have? So what if someone's listening and they're like, uh, I've been building the airplane while flying it. I don't know where oh, yeah. I am going. And I really haven't even given that much thought if they're kind of sitting here thinking, I haven't even thought about the life I want to have. I'm just kind of doing the thing. What advice would you have for someone who kind of needs to start almost backtrack and kind of build out what that's going to look like? Yeah. You know, this is a common story, actually, Shirley. Like I talk to so many people on my podcast who are like, I fell into business or like, you know, and we need to give ourselves more credit because we certainly did not fall into anything successful. We worked hard to get there. Right. But I think 
I talk to a lot of folks who are not just starting, but they're also in that messy middle of business. And they're like, hold on, I need to push pause and reevaluate. And it is something I need and want people checking in with themselves on on a regular basis. But I would say we have to do that analysis and that assessment when we're not in the throes of a million things. And so, and that's difficult because many of us take on way too much and we have a hard time saying no. And we want to be people pleasers and help everyone. And that is, and I'm projecting a little bit here, but my point is just like we, a lot of creatives have a hard time saying no. And then they overload themselves. And that's when they start to hit a wall or a breaking point. And they're like, I can't do this like this anymore. And that's when they have this revelation of something's got to give. But that's a good time to do reflection to say, okay, what about this don't I like? What doesn't feel good? Even as tactical as what aspects of this process have friction in them? Like, is it just that, is is it the project? Is it the people that I'm working with? Is it just my life is too overloaded? Like, we really need to kind of hone in on where the issues are so that we can solve them. But I would say giving yourself space. And also one of the things I was doing I do this actually during every round of my paper camp program. I take notes during the program and I take notes about what's working really well, what's not working really well, and, you know, things I could improve upon next time, or maybe even thinking about like people I'd want to bring in next time for different presentations and things. But the most enlightening pieces of that are always the things that are draining me and the places of friction because. If I can eliminate those pieces of friction, I'm a better leader. I'm a better teacher. My students will learn a lot more. You know, we want to make this as easy as possible. So I digress a little bit from your audience's needs there. But what I'm saying is like if they're feeling overloaded and they're not sure where to start, I would push pause and take note of what's causing the pain points. And you don't have to solve them right then and right there. This is not an immediate you know, problem solving thing. It's more of a way to reflect so that when I get to a place of clarity and have a little more time and headspace to look at this, I can look back and remember how I was feeling in the moment. Because I think a lot of times too, we as creatives, I was just talking about this with my advisory board yesterday. We move through things so fast. We, you know, work on a project, we complete the project. We don't even take time to stop and celebrate the win that we may have had from completing that project. And we're moving on to the next fire or the next thing we're doing or the next deadline that we're working towards. And the same is true when we have these point of frictions. Like we need to acknowledge when things don't feel good so that we can, even if it's a week or two later, go back and say, okay, this is how I was feeling. This is why I was feeling this way. And let me brainstorm some ways to get out of this or to change it. I relate to that so much. Just the moving on to the next thing. I mean, I've talked to so many people where, you know, they they finish a launch and it's like, okay, well, now I have to actually execute what I just did, do my thing. And then you don't even celebrate the launch or you don't even celebrate the fact that even if it's a small thing, you just move on to the next. So we're all so guilty of that. I think that, you know, one of the things you were talking about is those points of friction and even trying to amend that is scary. So I have found in my own life, like points of friction often are things I just am not gifted in, or it's something that is challenging for me that I could probably hire somebody for, but that's also scary. So all of those points of friction and things that we're doing in our businesses to make decisions, they, they are scary. But I think that 
we have to be aware of them, like you're saying, in a strategic way so that we can amend them and be better and be running these businesses that are ultimately serving us and we're not serving them, which I know you've talked a lot about as well. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think we all get, especially your audience and my audience, they get into business because they're creative. They're excited about the work they're making and they want to share it with the world, which is a beautiful thing. But they are not necessarily experienced with managing people or projects or deadlines or, you know, running a business and crunching numbers. And I mean, some of them have wonderful strengths in that and I'm not trying to knock it, but I, from the vast array of people I've spoken with, those are not their strengths. And so they struggle with how do I make this all work and how do I learn these new skills? And to your point too, like sometimes the friction can be eliminated by hiring some help, even project-based help. It doesn't have to be an ongoing employee. Sometimes the friction is not offering that type of product or service anymore. Sometimes the it's just tweaking minor things about your your framework or your workflows, and that can eliminate the friction. So I think going back to the whole putting down our head, doing the work, and not really acknowledging what's going on, that is where we hit a wall much more quickly. When we stop and celebrate the wins, the successes, and also acknowledge the things that were hard about what we just completed, that's when we make progress as a business owner. That's where also our confidence builds. And so tying this back to fear, when we're confident in what we're doing and where we're going with our business, we're not making as many decisions from this place of scarcity mindset or fear or a place where we feel pushed against a wall and we just have to make a choice. We're making it from a place of, I know this is the right decision for me and I know this is the right decision for the business. I'm really interested to hear what you would say about how numbers can do that for us because <laughs> yeah, oh I got a lot to say on this. Someone who I am probably like the just the stereotypical artist over here. I'm like I want to make pretty things and put them out into the yeah. world, Katie. That's all I want to do. And then you've just been a really powerful piece in my business world where it's like, no, let's look at the numbers here. And I think that numbers, like you're saying, coming back to fear when we actually have concrete data and concrete, like we're not scared about bringing on a new product because we know how many pieces it's going to take to earn our money back. Can you speak to that? I know you have a lot to share. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, how much time do we have here? No, just kidding. Um, Okay, so here's the funny thing about numbers. A lot of people are scared about numbers, but really numbers are there's no there's no shame around numbers. They're they're not an emotion, they're not a feeling, they're not a real life thing. They're just data points that we then use to make decisions on. So, I think we do harbor a lot of like worry and fears around numbers, particularly when the numbers are money related, but I, they're neutral. Numbers are neutral and they will help guide us to what we need to know. And so a couple of things I'm seeing are a lot of people are afraid to jump into them. They don't know how much it costs to produce some of their products, which is not a good thing. I want everyone to be really clear on what their production costs are and whether or not they're making any money selling their products. Like if we don't have that one piece of the pie dialed in, knowing we're making a profit on every single product, if we start selling that product and fulfilling that product, we're not making any money. Like all of the rest of the things that we do in our business are not worthwhile because we're not making money on an individual product, let alone if you, you know, exponentially build that out to thousands of products, right? So knowing your production costs is incredibly, incredibly important. 
I will also say that I see a lot of folks who, uh, one of my advisory board members yesterday on the call, she said, I had the slowest September I've ever had, and I am feeling very deflated. And when we pulled up her year over year numbers, she is up by like 40% from last year. And so we can get in our heads about, okay, September was really slow. That makes me feel deflated. I, I, I'm i just really sad. And, and then that could lead to somebody doing a flash sale or like doing something to try to generate cash flow, right? Because they're looking solely at September and they're thinking, oh gosh, this was low. I need to find a way to balance this out. But when we zoom out a bit and we look at the year over year numbers, she was up. And seeing that number immediately squashed all of her fears and her worries. She did not go into panic mode thinking she needed to do a flash sale or like do additional outreach or whatever it was. She calmed down and said, okay, we're actually doing great. Like this felt awful, but the numbers told me I was doing just fine. And so again, it's kind of like we need to look at the numbers, but we can't let them drive every emotion we have. But on the same time, like We need to look at different types of numbers like on a micro level as well as a macro level too to see what's going on. So, I mean, those are just two examples of how knowing our numbers is critical in business. But I think think it's important that if you are planning to run this business for profit, to pay yourself a salary, to potentially hire other people that you pay a salary, to grow it in whatever ways you want, you have to be looking at the numbers. You need to be looking at your profit and loss statements every single month. You need to be paying attention to not only your income, but also your expenses. And you need to truly treat this like a business. Now, if you want it to be a hobby or a side gig that you're doing to make a little bit of extra cash, you're gonna have a different mentality around it. But you still need to be looking at the numbers because our time is valuable and if this is a for-profit business, we need to be making money for this to carry on and have sustainability. And that's a hard truth for many is recognizing, oh, this is actually running more as a hobby than as a business. And if I want it to be a business, I have to look at the numbers. And I love that you said numbers are neutral. I feel like that needs to be, you need to make something with that, Katie. Because I was like, (laughs) oh my goodness, that's so powerful. Because it's true. They are just neutral. They're just giving us information. But I often, oh man, I like just wince like every time I'm like, okay, I have to look at I have to meet with my bookkeeper. We have to look over things. It feels like making that horrible doctor's appointment you don't want to make. Okay. Okay. I want to re- – if, if others listening right now are feeling the same way, I want to reframe this for all of you, okay? When it's time – hopefully you're getting your books done every month mm-hmm. or you're doing them or you're hiring somebody to do them. So for those listening, when it's time to look at your profit and loss statement, when your bookkeeper sends you that report – I want you to go get a cup of your favorite tea or coffee or whatever drink is your choice. I want you to sit in a quiet space where no one's bothering you. Your notifications are off. Your phone is off. Your email's off. All the things, right? And I want you to take a look at the numbers from a place of look at the growth I've had. Look at the things I've accomplished. And even before you look at those numbers, take a piece of paper and write down next to it, what did I do this month? What were all the wins I had this month? I decided on that color palette that I was struggling with for two weeks. You know, I locked in a new licensing deal with this brand I've been talking to for two years. I, you know, sold to my 30th wholesale account and that was a big milestone for me. 
even small stuff of like, I took Fridays off and spent more time doing the things I love in my life. Like, write that down and then go look at the numbers. And remember that these numbers are just neutral and they're telling us what's working and what's not. The other thing I want to say about the PL is, you know, there are seasons in business, there are cycles in business, there are times you're going to be busier, there's times that are going to be slower. And when you look at the year over year numbers or you look at the whole of uh, we're looking at monthly but when we look at the whole year together that's where we get a more accurate representation of the health of the business and so i share that just to say like make it a celebration of your success make it a celebration of look at this money that i've earned and yeah i spent this other money too to be able to earn this yeah. money or to be able to pay my staff or whatever it is that you're you know spending your money on but I think we need to shift the mindset around like the bookkeeping stuff because it is scary for a lot of folks. And I think if we change it to be a celebration of our wins over the last month and the numbers just back up those wins, that's a nice reframe. Oh, it's such a good reframe. I'm going to pocket that because I often come to the table with, oh, I'm going to be seeing failure yeah. or I'm going to be met with this potential feeling of I wasn't enough or I didn't do enough. And so reframing it of like, well, even if the numbers don't show like potential quote unquote success, mm -hmm. like we still have wins to celebrate whether or not they were monetary. And I don't want to just, you know, we're not moving into Pollyanna land of like, oh, you just did really. I mean, the numbers are important. We need that. The numbers are super important. But also some of the projects your listeners are doing, they don't they may lock those deals in now, but they're not paid for them for a while, too. So recognizing the ebbs and flows of the cash flow of the business is important and you know not getting hung up on oh man i had the worst september ever and then looking and realizing oh actually it was okay because we locked in these deals we're going to get paid for in four five six months or whatever it might be yeah i see like a theme as we wrap up here of just taking a step back like having a wider lens which can really serve us on so many different levels. So I appreciate that you talk about just looking at our businesses as a whole, like over the whole year, because there are ebbs and flows. We all know that apparently any month that starts with a J is a little slow for certain revenue streams. So just keeping that in mind, like, oh, July could potentially be slow or June or whatever. I appreciate that you say that. It gives a lot of permission to just breathe a little bit so we're not stuck this close to whatever we're looking at. So as we wrap up, I would love for you to share where people can connect with you because you have so much to give our community on so many different levels. So I'd love for you to share where people can connect with you, what kind of programs you have if they're interested. Yeah, absolutely. So if anyone listening is interested in expanding their wholesale revenue and really diving into wholesale, I would encourage you to check out my wholesale audio series, it's free, it's on demand, you can binge it in less than an hour. And that's at prooftoproduct.com slash private pod, P-O-D at the end. That wholesale audio series is going to be a really great primer for all the things you need to consider before you jump into wholesale. And if you're already selling wholesale, it's going to help you tweak and refine some things that are going to help you escalate and scale much, much faster. So that is where I would tell people to start. We have a wide range of resources and gosh, over 300 podcast episodes and free classes and some smaller paid classes and things. So definitely head to prooftoproduct.com and you can learn more about that. But the podcast, that private podcast is really where I would tell you all to start. It is no fluff. It's like all strategy and action. That's how I do things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so it's kind of like drinking from a fire hose a little bit, but 
but in a good way that you're like motivated and excited to like get things done. So um, we're on social everywhere at Proof to Product and mostly hang out on Instagram. But yeah, that's where you can find me. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'll make sure all those links are in the show notes. Go check out Proof to Product, the podcast. It's one of my favorites, been listening for years. So thank you so much, Katie, again, for being here today and just giving us permission to slow down, reflect, and not be driven by fear in our decision-making, but there's a lot of strategy to be had as well. So thanks again for being here. Oh, thanks for having me, Shirley. Here are the key takeaways from today's episode. Embracing a strategic mindset can help you overcome fear and uncertainty in your business endeavors. Fear isn't always negative. A healthy dose of fear can actually lead to creative solutions and progress. It's essential to recognize when fear hinders progress and balance it with excitement and purpose. To make informed decisions, you must have a clear vision of your goals. Recognize that your life and business goals can evolve over time, and it's crucial to regularly revisit and reassess them. Identifying areas in your business that cause friction, stress, or discomfort is essential. Understanding what doesn't work well and finding ways to eliminate or manage those friction points can lead to a more successful and fulfilling business. Celebrating wins and successes, even small ones, can build your confidence and help to overcome fear. Numbers are neutral. Numbers are not something to fear or be emotional about. They are simply data points that can help us make informed business decisions. And lastly, evaluate your business from a macro and micro perspective. Looking at the bigger picture, such as year-over-year numbers, can provide a more accurate assessment of your business health and performance. Thanks again for listening to the Tillage Podcast. It brings me so much joy knowing that you spent your very precious time with me here today. If you want more, head on over to thetillagepodcast.com for today's show notes. And I'll be back next week with another episode.